I became obsessed with wanting to become The Bachelor then because it's like, you know, they sort of dangle you along and they're like, if you do this, it sets up a path for you to do this. And I'm like, oh great, then I could become The Bachelor and date 30 women. What's straighter than that? Trying self-conversion therapy on myself, essentially. I'm mm -hmm. saying like, I will become straight. This is how I'm going to do it. There was nothing more that I could have done to declare that I was a straight man more than becoming The Bachelor. Hello, friends. Welcome to Man Enough. I am Justin Baldoni. And in this episode of our beautiful partnership with the amazing YouTube channel Style Like You, What's Underneath Masculinity, presented by BetterHelp, we have Colton Underwood. Colton is a former NFL football player. He's perhaps best known for his three seasons in the Bachelor franchise. Colton became the first lead in Bachelor history to come out as gay after the show, and now he's using his platform to talk about mental health and focus on LGBTQ plus advocacy. In this episode, Colton is going to walk us through various important experiences that has shaped his relationship with his own masculinity, from the harm that he caused himself and others trying so hard to be straight, through the controversy he caused by coming out after becoming a Bachelor icon, through his healing journey, and all the beautiful ways that he's now committed to fully embracing his identity and helping others do the same. This is such an important episode. Look, Colton's even pushing a bill through Congress to help young boys in sports. He's doing so much. I happen to be friends with his wonderful husband, Jordan. So I think that if you are a human, you're going to really love this episode. You can see Colton tell his story in the shorter version on the Style Like You YouTube channel after you listen to the full version here, of course. And as always, let us know what you think about the episode. You can find us on social at We Are Man Enough. So let's dive in. Here is Colton Underwood and Man Enough, What's Underneath Masculinity. I want to just begin by saying we are really grateful to have you here. And um, every once in a while, we'll have you take something off and um, you can just put it on the ground. Great. So can you just begin by talking about how you're feeling right now? Yeah, I feel at peace. I feel happy and content and optimistic, weirdly, with everything going on in our world. Are you typically this, all, all of those positive emotions? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not normal for me. Um, I say that because I, I still have days that I would not use all of those words to describe how I feel. These types of days are more common now than they used to be, for mm -hmm. sure. These mm -hmm. used to be rare days for me, and now this is an average day, which mm -hmm. is good. I feel like I've lived three different lives at this point, and this era, this time that I'm in right now is very, very good. And how do you feel about doing this and participating in this in this project? And my husband's gonna kill me for saying this, but I like love being naked. <laughs> I know that's not we're not getting naked. I'm stripping down, but like I enjoy it. I think like there's something so freeing about it, and you can express yourself just in your own skin. Um, and it's something I've always struggled with, but now I feel like I'm getting more used to and comfortable with. Struggled with. Struggle with just finding my own skin. I was very, very good at blending and I was very, very good at hiding and hiding in plain sight and being able to be a sort of a chameleon. So can you talk about what your style says about you? I like an old Navy t-shirt, but Alexander McQueen shoes and a designer jacket and everyday jeans. I wear Carhartt on the weekends and I'm not the most materialistic, 
but I still like to have a sense of feeling fashionable. Have you always expressed yourself or been conscious of your self-expression and your outer expression freely, or has that been something that's newer? I would say my style and, and how I present has always been very strategic in the way that my football team or my classmates or whatever box I was in at that time, I had to sort of conform to that, that style. Uh, wherever I am in my life is sort of how I dress, act, feel, think. But is that still the case or that is, was that the case? That was the case. Yeah. We're, we're leaving that version behind. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're struggling with accepting your sexuality, you don't want to let anybody have any, you don't want to give people permission to ask. And I think for me, that was in how I presented externally. I just didn't want to give anybody a way in to poke holes into my asking questions about my sexuality. So I wanted to dress whatever straight looked like and whatever um, my friends were dressing like. What did straight look like to you? Well, I grew up in Illinois and there wasn't a lot of queer representation. We had, I think we had one queer kid in my entire town and he was not well received and straight to me looked like jeans and a t-shirt rugged and I would sag my jeans. I would wear oversized t-shirts, backwards hats, jerseys. I have like 92 football jerseys. I was an avid football jersey collector because they were so baggy. What are you wearing today that maybe like you wouldn't have thought what you thought would have kind of like blown your cover? Oh, probably these shoes. I mean, these shoes definitely have a couple inches on them. And I don't know if they would have been something that I would have worn in the past, even though I think I knew who Stuart Weitzman was before a lot of my girlfriends did. <laughs> and it was so confusing for a lot of people, including myself. What were the things that you could do and not do? And like, how scary was that in terms of revealing when you were not ready to reveal and you were like in those earlier days? There's parts of me, I would have loved to bleach my hair more than I did. I would have loved to wear different colors, pinks and purples, colors that aren't often viewed as masculine or colors for men. There is a part of it that's a little silly because like, I don't think I would have been necessarily outed because of what I was wearing or how I was presenting but I definitely think it would have started that cycle of people questioning, which is what I did not want. I wanted to be a little louder than what I was. I mean, all the way down to the movies and TV shows that I watched, I wanted to make sure that they were the more masculine ones. Overcompensating when it came to music choices, listening to more rap, listening to more like masculine energy rock. And like, that was never really me. I loved the boy bands. I loved pop, but you would not catch me listening to that in, in my car. I remember I secretly had to have my aunts buy me certain CDs and I bought pink and it was like, that was what I sort of hid in. I hid, I hid in music and I loved listening to the pop records and the softer, gentler, kinder music. Okay, so can you take off your jacket then? Yes. Can you talk a bit about the assumptions that people make about you based on how you present now? I mean, there's so many <laughs> yeah. assumptions people think, and I don't know who said this. I, I read this quote the other day. If you have a problem with me, text me. And if you don't have my number, then it doesn't matter. Mm. That's sort of how I've been living my life now. Mm. But before that, I was really worried about my public 
image and perception, and especially when I was closeted. I think that I'm a walking contradiction to a lot of people, and I'm a walking contradiction to myself. I will fully admit that. Like, as simple as I present, I'm a very, very complex person, and it's really hard for people to sort of understand that. After I came out, I remember I got this whole time, but you don't look gay. I heard that more than anything. Um, I was like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I think it's hard for people to wrap their heads around somebody who can go play pickup basketball with the guys and then go to a wine and drawing night later that evening. Or I notice weirdly more straight men so confused when I hold my, my husband's hand in public, like as we walk by. It just really, there was no box you could put me in, but I always wanted to be in one. Why did you want to be in one? My fear was that I was going to be myself. I wanted walls. I didn't want anybody in, in my walls. I didn't want to be myself. I didn't want to be out. I didn't want to be in touch with my feelings and emotions. Like my life was very, very compartmentalized. I just really liked keeping my lives separate because then I could use them to cover my own self. It was very intentional. Before you came out, despite all the doubling down, tripling down that you did to cover it up, were you ever assumed to be gay by people in real life? I got, I got called a faggot, I got called gay, I got called queer. If I wasn't dating somebody at the time, it was definitely even more. It's like when you're a successful football player, you're supposed to be dating the cheer captain. You're supposed to be dating a hot woman and you're supposed to have her on your arm after games. And, and if you don't have that, it gives people permission to ask why. I mean, people on my football team thought I was gay. And, I, like, I, and it just made me that more motivated and made me work that much harder to blend in. We'll be right back. Welcome back to What's Underneath Masculinity. Homophobia is, is very real in locker rooms. The locker room culture is so confusing for a straight man. You go from moments of obviously showering naked together, commenting on dick sizes and slapping asses to if you look for a second too long, you're being called a faggot. Then no homo comes out. And it's just like, for somebody who's questioning their sexuality, you're like, what, what do I do? I think the biggest misconception with locker rooms for queer men is like, it's not sexual. If anything, it was terrifying. It was terrifying to be worried about being turned on even though, it, like I already said, it wasn't sexual, but like in the back of my mind, I was like the worst case scenario that could happen is like, I actually get mm -hmm. turned on in this moment. Mm -hmm. But I think I was so scared that that emotion overcame any other emotion that I could possibly have. It's just the fear of mm -hmm. being in the locker room. In high school, I was, you know, I had a girlfriend, but I wasn't very physically involved with them. And I think like that even got around at one point. I remember that was the rumor in high school was I broke up with my girlfriend after she touched my privates. And I remember that one vividly because it got back to my parents. My mom was like, you know, if you're gay, you can tell me. And I was like, I'm not. That was high school response was sort of bouncing from relationships, but like exiting before it became physical. College was easier for me because I can compartmentalize. So I was telling people in my college that I was seeing somebody back home and I was telling people at home that I'm seeing somebody in college and I'm not ready for them to meet. And that's sort of where the disaster happened. <laughs> because I didn't get to have a normal social life and I didn't have to, I didn't get to have a normal relationship and I didn't get to mature in those ways. Can you explain that? When you're in high school and you're dating and you're in relationships and things get complicated, you make stupid mistakes, you do stupid things, you, you say something that you regret or you're like, oh, I wish I would have been mature enough to see that. I never had that. 
until I had cameras and the public eyes on me. <laughs> and I fell on my face. I should have been a stupid teenager and had to experience heartbreak and had to experience this. But instead I was so scared about my sexuality and I just avoided relationships. Any other assumptions that you want to talk about as far as your current public, I don't know, persona, what people think about you, just knowing you only through your public life that you want to clarify? Or I think the one thing that everybody might have an issue with is, you know, how I went through the Bachelor series. I mean, filmed three shows in one year. I think people either really like me or I think people really hate me. There's like z zero people who are like undecided that I was very strategic in the way that I was on camera and got to camera. But like, I think people need to understand is like, I wanted that. I wanted to be publicly straight. I wanted to be on your screens dating women. I just thought it would make me straighter. Thought that the further along I got into a relationship in my mind, I would become straight. I would have to commit more. And by committing, it would change me. Um, and boy, was I wrong. So is the hatred that you think some people feel like a sense that you're like some kind of manipulator? Manipulation's a good word. I, I think that fraud I hear every once in a while or fake, but I mean, I was doing it out of like this major insecurity and self-hatred to try to survive. I just, I did not see a path. I did not see a path for me to come out. What were you afraid of? Rejection from all sides of my life. I was in a locker room at the same time that Michael Sam came out. What people see was like, oh, the NFL supported him. But what I experienced was not that. What did you experience? Gay jokes, left and right. I experienced people saying it's a circus, it's a media, he's a clown, all of these things. And it just drove me into the closet even more. Like, oh, I can't do this. But I also realized like as much hate as I've received online and backlash and whatever you want to call it, I haven't had that experience in real life. Like nobody's ever came up to me and looked me in the eyes as a human being and said any of the negative things or the bad things that they've said to me online. It's like now I'm in a phase like, and I mean this with so much love to everybody who's been along with me on this journey, but like I, I don't, I don't need them to understand anymore. And I don't need them to, to have access to all of me. I was in my 20s when I was filming that show and I gave up a lot of my privacy. I mean, look, I'm still going to be on TV. I'm still going to be having my public facing moments. But now I have to protect myself. Now I've learned that was not healthy for me. I had a very, very public breakdown and I, I know why. And now I have to pull back and now I have to protect myself. Can you take off your watch? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about like the first like inclination that you had to yourself that you like might be gay or like that you might be attracted to men? I went to Catholic grade school and my earliest memory of me not knowing that I was gay but knowing I was different was they have the playful, like, girls have cooties and all that. Like, that was when I learned, like, oh, I could hide behind the cooties line. It, it gave me permission to be able to hide at that young of an age. Like, was there, a, was there did you have a crush or did you? And I, I never really had a crush because I would never give myself permission to have crushes. But I would respond to male nudity way more than I was respond to the female nudity. 
that was my like major giveaway. Just, I was always, always, always attracted to such masculine energy, whether it was within men or women. Um, and then that confused me because <laughs> I was like, oh, like there, there is a version in, in which I still identify as a gay man. I'm still gay and I love my husband, but like there still is a version where I can be attracted to women if they had the right energy. And, and now when I reflect on a lot of my um, ex-relationships with females, a lot of them had pretty masculine energy. Like what kind of qualities would you describe as masculine like that they had? Just a sense of independence too. Like I needed somebody to be able to really take lead and take charge. That's hot to me too. You mentioned that your mom gave an opening for you to be able yeah. to say, what about your dad? I think my dad actually caught me watching gay porn, not watching, but he caught me on the browser history before and I just played it off as I was curious and we never spoke about it again. But that, you know, I love my dad, but we just never really talked about emotions or feelings. And I think it was like, he brought it up to me one time and I said no, and he never brought it up again. I don't even know if he told my mom at the time. I mean, as soon as those moments were over where I explored it, I hated myself, hated it. And that was just me with myself in, in a private moment. It is so confusing, mm. so confusing. Sounds really confusing. Yeah. And lonely. Very, yeah. I don't really have anybody to let in. I would, that, it just made it easier to dive into football, dive into sports. I, I could hide there and I felt safe there. When I reflect on it, I played football for 17 years. I was able to hide in a sport until I was injured and until I couldn't play the game anymore. And then I remember after football, I fell into The Bachelor and it was another place for me to hide. I loved the entertainment aspect of it all. I was more obsessed with the camera operators and the audio guys and the producers than I was the girl that I was supposed to be pursuing. <laughs> I had never, ever, ever given myself permission to pursue any type of arts because mm -hmm. arts in my high school was gay. It gave you like the safe window to like get into that world, but like through the doubling down on your straightness. Self-conversion therapy on myself, essentially. I'm mm -hmm. saying like, I will become straight. This is how I'm going to do it. It started the process of me really having to acknowledge and think through feelings and talk through a relationship. And it was nice to have something like The Bachelor where I had producers and people and like coaching and guiding and helping me be able to ask questions and be direct in relationships. Mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't with who I wanted it to be with, I still like worked hard. I became obsessed with wanting to become The Bachelor then because it's like, you know, they sort of dangle you along and they're like, if you do this, it sets up a path for you to do this. And I'm like, oh great, then I could become The Bachelor and date 30 women. What's straighter than that? There was nothing more that I could have done to declare that I was a straight man more than becoming The Bachelor. So that, that became my goal. Oh my and like, my mind and how I worked is I was like, I have a goal now. I'm going to become The Bachelor. And meanwhile, I'm still like falling in love with the production of it all. Like I loved, I loved television. I loved creating it. I loved exploring my artistic side. I did well at it. Like after football, like that, that's what I wanted to get into. And I knew it. And I think like that's also what helped me become The Bachelor is because I could walk into the decision-making guy's office and be like, I'll make good TV for you. Like, let's go make a good show. So in a way, do you feel like you were kind of like a good actor? Like, no, no, I think actors obviously are like <laughs> trained and masterful in their craft. And I was very like, just like loose and lost. And like, 
I was ripe for reality TV because I was, I had no clue who I was. I worked hard to be liked on camera. I wanted, you know, I wanted to put a good show on. I think so often, especially with that franchise, you always hear it's like, they're there for the wrong reason. I was like, you only go on that show for one reason, it's to be loved. Whether it's to be loved by the public or to be loved by the person who's on that show. I was trying to be loved by everybody because I hated myself. So how did you actually get on it? I remember there is this casting thing at the 16th Street Mall in Denver. And I walked past it and it was for Bachelor, so it was all women. I walked in and I was like, hey, am I supposed to be here? And they're like, yes, come up here. And like within three minutes, I was in front of a camera. And fast forward and all of a sudden I'm in LA getting tested to make sure that I was eligible and taking on the psych exams. It's so nervous, so anxious. And then I end up getting cast for The Bachelorette as one of the men. I manifested putting myself in a position to become straight. It sounds so weird saying, but like that's so great way to say it. I'm just like, that's the easiest way for me to explain it to you. It's like, that was my mission and my goal was like, I'm doing this to become straight. And when you were in these relationships, like, were you physical or were you like, did you? Ish. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The thing that I think is confusing for people is like, there was real attraction there. Mm -hmm. There was real bonding. There was, it was a very real relationship and it was loving and kind and sweet and even more confusing for me. Because then I'm like, oh, I can, but it doesn't quite feel right. I can make this work, but I, I wouldn't be completely fulfilled. I think that's true of any relationship. There's sort of the almost, and then there's the right. Settling. People settle these days. And I, I see it in my family. I see it in my friend group. And it makes me sad because, like, I almost did. I almost settled. I think that's like another thing the public's like, you lied so much. I was like, I was lying to myself the most. I lied to myself more than I lied to anybody mm-hmm. else in public. I, I hold regret for that. But like, I did my best with what I could do. Of course, as a human and talking about all the subtleties and nuances like this of love and connection and alignment and who isn't like, and who doesn't at some point. Yeah, they just don't do it in front of America. Mm. So it was around that time was the first actual relationship with a, or a sexual encounter, whatever it was with a man? Yes, my first sexual encounter was with a man. So your actual first yeah. was with a man at the was end of the day? with a man at the end of the day. And then what was that like for you? So shameful, so confusing. I remember it vividly, like, cause at that time I thought that I was gonna lose my scholarship. I thought I was gonna lose my career. I was like, oh, never again. Mm-hmm. And then the urges came back up mm-hmm. and the desire came back up and I kept having to push it, push it back down. In between shows, I was able to explore a physical connection with men. When you're in production, you have three producers attached to you. You have a handler on you at all times. You don't have moments to go be by yourself. You have a stylist, you have hair and makeup, you have like all these people in your space and on top of you. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to have the gay thing pop up in my head. I remember wrapping the show. I was in a relationship at the time, was not engaged, but I wanted to be. (laughs) Not because like I had such strong feelings. I did have feelings. I wanted to be because like the more steps that I took in a straight relationship was gonna help me become more straight. I mean, we were together for over a year. 
and it was a very, very real relationship. And I, like, I think like that also is like public perception is like, oh, it wasn't real then. Very real. And my, my COVID experience and like so many people out there really broke me. COVID made me stop being able to run. I did not have anything else to run to, to distract myself in, mm. to be done. So when that breakup happened, it was game over for myself. I didn't know what to do. And I was incredibly immature and I was incredibly not ready for what that experience and what that show was going to do to me. I'm so glad that it, it happened and I'm so glad that I did have that experience, mm -hmm. but I was not ready for it. So was it like a mutual breakup or did someone like... No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't have left that relationship. And that relationship was sort of my last, I knew my last straight relationship, one way or another. I was a deeply troubled person. I was a mess. As a mess. What did that look like? It looked like abusing medication. My anxiety meds were being abused. I was drinking more than usual. The best way for me to explain it, I was living on the outside of my body. I was watching myself. And that's not to take any excuse or try to like downplay me or my actions or who I was. I just did not have control of myself. I didn't have that, that pressure release valve mm -hmm. of football anymore. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't know even what I wanted to express. On one hand, without that experience, I think I would be dead. Or I think that I would be married with kids and cheating on my wife every other weekend. Do you want to take off your shoes? Sure. Any time I talk about it publicly, it gets picked up and then it's a whole nother people want to lash out and remind me that I shouldn't have a platform and that I shouldn't be talking about this and all of these things that they just don't understand what I was going through really. I would be the first to say it does not excuse. I hold myself accountable more than anybody can try to hold me. I, I really do. There's a lot of healing that's gone on for, for me and there's a lot of work that's been put in. And I hope one day that, you know, people will not will ever excuse or move on, but will will understand the depth and like the layers that went into that year of my life. You know, there is still a big gap that I don't think I'll ever have closure on. I don't think I'll ever feel good about, but I have to be okay with that because it's selfish of me not to be. There's a lot of people who um, think what I did was unforgivable. I had a very toxic ending relationship with, with the person from the show. And it's hard because like anytime I speak, it brings her back into it and she's in another relationship and I'm in my relationship now. So it's like, I have to walk this balance of like, still protecting and still honoring her privacy, but while telling my truth. And that's always hard to figure out too. <laughs> I mean, transparently, it's like, a, that's another complication in all of this now is like, I get to go be happy and live my life and have an amazing, wonderful husband and build a family with him. and you know, at the same time, have to revisit this every once in a while. It's like all we can do is be honest and, and, and try to grow, yeah. like, and then, and share that so that other people feel permission to do the same. I hope one day that's accepted. I think like the making mistakes and being able to grow and move past them, hopefully will become a thing. I think, unfortunately, still in our society, there's a lot of people who would rather them go away.
I can sit here confidently and, and say I'm not going away because I know what I can contribute to society and also to the entertainment industry. And I'm very, very excited to take that on. And like, that is now my new goal. And I also have to, you know, realize I, I had a past. I had, I had cameras on me in my 20s and, and I, was not, I was not in a great place. I'm starting to reconnect with some people from my past that I didn't do great things to. And it's been really refreshing and healthy for me to do that and say, hey, let me reintroduce myself. So your willingness to be vulnerable and accountable has helped. Yeah. And I mean, I have to keep earning and I have friendships and relationships now with these people for the second time. And not a lot of people get second chances. And I'm so grateful that they've sort of like let me back into their lives. But like, I also recognize that like it's, it's on me this time to fix it. One of the themes of this series in general is like accountability and like what that looks like. Is there anything that like you would be comfortable sharing as far as like what a harmful thing you might have done that you're now taking accountability for? You know, when I reflect not only in my most previous one with a woman from the show, but from others too, I, I needed and wanted control. And that is, you know, a form of abuse. Can you give an example? The complications of controlling a relationship, both publicly and privately, is hard. And, and you have to think through every scenario. You have the public rooting for you and wanting you to stay together. So that pressure already exists in your private relationship. And then when you're in the private relationship, do you feel like you're giving enough? Do you, and for me, it's like, I wanted to show more and it's like, but I just remember how exhausting it was. Right, and, and if it was falling apart, I can imagine you being panicked by what that yeah. was gonna mean for you. You know, I think it, and it also like, it made me feel a little guilty after it all too, because then all of a sudden I get to come out and be free and have the best few years of my life. Can you talk a little bit about coming out? Like what happened, how did, how did that all lead to coming out? Oh gosh. I was in Illinois at the time. Everything with my ex was starting to come out and my publicist called and he goes, I'm just gonna ask you a question and I just need you to answer honestly. And I knew it was coming. And he said, are you gay? And I said, yes, I think so. I started receiving some emails saying that they had pictures of me at what is known as like a cruising gay spa out here in LA. My experiences were with men were purely physical. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I never even gave them my name. Most of the time I never even said a word to them and I needed to do what I needed to do and then I needed to get out and then act like it never happened. I mean, I was being blackmailed. My publicist was a gay man and he was so supportive and so great. And it was like the first time that I said it and he was like, everything's gonna be okay. He was the first sort of step. The other two men, the producers that I was working on the project with basically said to me like, when you're ready, we'd like to talk to you. We, we think we know what's going on. Cause by that time I had pulled out of the show. I had said, and so had my ex and we were basically like, privacy, we're good. I'll back up a little bit further. After the breakup and after COVID, I had a really, really bad night. And I took a lot of my pills thinking it was enough to take me down. And it wasn't. And I woke up the next morning broke. The worst version of myself I've ever been. And I drove 15 hours to Denver and moved back in with my dad. And I gave him my medication. I came clean. I did not come out. 
And I just told him what was about to happen. I was just like, I've made some mistakes. I've said some things. I've done some things. Here's the, the pills that I've been taking. Help me. How did he respond? I mean, my dad's a ride or die. Like anything that goes on in my life, he's got my back and I know it. And, and same with my mom. And he helped me get better and helped me handle things. And he was trying his best and my entire family was. I think four or five weeks went by and I ended up taking the meeting with the two producers and they were basically like, they wanted to document my entire coming out. And they were basically like, we think it could help a lot of people in the, in the Midwest. And I had reservations. I said no for like, I think the first two times. But then I trust you two. It's two gay men who I, I just had a really good feeling about. I'm really glad that I did it. I'm proud of the project and I'm, I'm glad that we did what we did. So you came out I came first out. to them, to your publicist and to them? This is how like messed up this world is, is like, unfortunately my situation, I had to come out to my publicist, I had to come out to my management, I had to come out to my agent, I had to come out to all my professional circle before I could any of my personal circle. At one point, my lawyer told me I was gonna have to come out if I went, if I ended up going to court, I was gonna have to come out on the stand. That is such a bad way to come out. At that time, I had to kick my dad off my legal team because like, I had to start talking about this to my lawyer. And it's because I didn't, I wasn't ready to tell my dad. Cause I wanted to come out to my mom first. So I wanted to like practice on her first, if that makes sense. So was there like a genuine fear that like, whether he would still love you? I think what I was more concerned about was the impact it would have on my family. I mean, I put my family through a lot. They had to go through those shows with me. They didn't sign up for that, but I put the cameras in their house and they let people set up production in their house to film two different shows, three. There's a lot of guilt that I felt there. Mm. When did you tell your dad? I told my dad on camera, uh, we went fishing. Didn't catch a damn fish. So that made it even more awkward. And he was the best. You know, he, he asked if he could tell people for me, like to take it off my plate. And I just remember feeling so loved and so supported in that moment. I felt so good. Why do you think if you felt that unconditional love from your parents, like why did you take so long? Why was it so hard for you to come out? It wasn't always like that. I didn't always think that they were gonna be okay with it. There's so many vivid memories that I remember of, of him, my dad and, and, and my family at times taking stances against the LGBTQ plus community in different ways. Like one vivid one for me was like the Harry Styles cover photo came out and where he was in a dress. They had a big problem with it. And I didn't want to get too defensive at the dinner table. I just remember I was like, oh shit, this is not gonna be as easy as I thought it was gonna be. Cause if he has a problem with a man wearing a dress, what if his, son wants to be married to a man. I did have very real fears and concerns just because of not only politics and beliefs, but values and, and all sorts of things. I started letting people in slowly. And did that change your, your mental health? Like your, right, like the depression and all the things that- Yeah, um, I was in therapy, an intense therapy, twice a week. Was not on any medications and uh, I was just in a really healthy place. I was holding myself accountable to showing up to therapy. I was staying away from alcohol. I was doing very well on my own two feet. And as much as like the media cycle was there, you know, believe it or not, when I came out, 
there was a lot of the gay community that sort of had a problem with me too. Why? They said that I was monetizing the queer experience. By having the show? Yeah, which like, if I can be transparent, I don't even think I was in the top 100 paid from that. Like more people made more money off of my story and my thing than I did. Everybody was calling for me to donate my salary to the Trevor Project and all this. I was like, have Netflix do it. I mean, they're the ones making millions off of this and you know. The critique that I can understand but also would love to counter is just like, they were like, you're a cis-presenting passing white man. And I was like, I am. But my problems and my trauma looks different than yours. And I was able to hide in plain sight. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me, and I know this sounds so privileged to say, but there's a part of me that wishes that I would have had a gay tendency. So somebody could have called me on my shit earlier and I could have came out earlier in life. I wish that I had a moment to be forced to come out earlier in life. It would have saved me a lot of pain. If I had any message to our community, it would be to stop comparing traumas. Your trauma is your own and is unique and I will honor and respect it, but don't come for mine. Can you take off your necklaces yes. or just one for now? Yeah. Basically what you might mean is that like, because you didn't have more quote unquote, like gay affectations of what people think you, it is to be gay, like you, you, you were able to get. By. You were able to hide because yeah. you were able I to hide. I hid in plain sight. I was very good at hiding in plain sight. Mm -hmm. There was no representation for people like me. I didn't identify with drag race. I didn't identify with, you know, gay parades and marches and what the public and what our society and what middle America knows is to be the gay community and what is represented in the media was not me. I came out and thought I was going to be good and all of a sudden, I was like, I don't belong here. This, this box isn't for me either. And it took me a while to figure out where I belonged. How, how did you find it? I found it with a lot of patience and also in my relationship with Jordan. I was still on a, on a journey of self-discovery when we met for my own self. And I was very upfront with him on that. And like, I'm still a work in progress and he loves me for all that I am and all that I will be. And he told me that. and. I think it was in that moment that I'm like, oh, there's a lane for me in this community to be patient with people, to be patient with middle America and with the conservative crowd and with Republicans who are voting to hurt this community. I found that lane and I found that calling and I really am leaning into it and I really am enjoying it. How did you meet Jordan? We met randomly at like this party and then two months went by and we were on the same trip in P-Town and it was like, magnets. I was very upfront that like I had not had an emotional connection with a man and it was still a very physical experience for me, not emotional. And um, we hit it off immediately. What about the football team? How, do you have your talk to any of them? Have you heard from any of them? I have spoke to a lot of a lot of my football teammates and friends and they're supportive privately and publicly. But it's interesting now because I have a whole new standard of, of how I of where I hold my friends in my life. Um, the level of expectation of depth of the emotion that I, I, and connection that I want to have to my friends. And some can meet me there and some can't. Can you yeah. take off your other necklace? Yes. When do you feel the most vulnerable? Honestly, anytime I have cameras on me. So now? So now, <laughs> definitely. Like this is not a comfortable thing. It, it used to come very easy. But it came easy because like when I was in front of a camera, I wasn't myself. And now that I'm like truly myself, it's harder for me to 
to do camera things. It's very possible from this interview and from me sitting here, there's going to be a headline or two. And I'm going to have to sit with whatever that is. The most vulnerable things that I can do in my life right now is to go back onto camera. So why are you doing it? I'm doing it because I'm not, I'm, I'm not hiding. I'm not going away. And I'm proud of who I've become. I'm proud of who I'm going to become. And I'm going to work really, really hard to grow. And I'm going to work really, really hard to prove that I have something to offer to the world. I want to use everything that I've been through. I want to use all of the trauma. I want to use all of the shame. I want to use all of these tools and all of these things that I've experienced firsthand and I've been through to help. Mm -hmm. If, you know, one kid from middle America can like look at my path and say, there is a path and, and avoid some of the roads that I took, it would be worth it. And I have an amazing, amazing, amazing husband who like is so patient and so kind and so loving and accepting and non-judgmental and just like gives me space to explore and to be myself and is right next to me holding my hand. Have you had any um, struggle with breaking from the pattern of like compartmentalizing because you did that for so long? Like, do you, oh, do totally. you find that like or lying or like, do you find that that like comes back up and you have to be like, no, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> It's still taking a long time for me to sort of um, undo not only the compartmentalizing, but also undoing the control that I loved feeling and having in relationships and surrendering and being able to give that up to somebody is challenging and vulnerable. What's like an example of that? I just think like being brutally and completely honest with like a partner and being like, you know, even early on in our relationship being like, I trust you. I love you. I, and like, also like, I'm still figuring my stuff out. I still like with my mental health, you know, I have bad days, bad weeks. Like I had a very bad week last week and I was not my best self and I was short with him, but he was there to pick me up. And it feels good to be able to have somebody else in my life that can do that for me. Yeah. Can you take off your hat? Yeah. <laughs> When's the last time you cried? Probably watch rewatching myself come out in Good Morning America with my dad on the couch in New York. What were you feeling? A relief and joy that it was on my own terms too. Like the words came from me to get to people. Of course there was like rumors and tabloids and whatever there was, but like for the majority of America and if there's any international people who watched Bachelor, like they got to hear it from me. I, I was, I'm, I'm pretty well trained of, of hiding my emotions. I'm very, I'm very good at it. It was, it's been a defense mechanism of mine my entire life. Like even I think Jordan truly last week asked me, I was like, are you ever going to cry in front of me? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, are you ever going to do anything to make me cry? <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back to What's Underneath Masculinity. Can you take off your shirt? Yeah. What do you love about your body and what don't you love about your body? It's obviously provided a career for me in sports. I had this full scholarship in college. I didn't have to pay for college, but there's also been a lot of insecurities. I, I love working out in the gym. I, I want to have the best body, but also I'm really getting in touch with just accepting that some days I can't go to the gym and I'm not gonna be able to always have a six pack. I'm not always gonna be have biceps and triceps that are bulging out. Like 
Like this is this is me. I, I had a I had a bad week last week, and and I could have probably looked better for this, but I'm I didn't. Yeah. I'm proud of this because mm-hmm. that means that I'm enjoying life and I'm in a good place. Mm-hmm. Oh, so can you take off your belt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when do you feel the most beautiful and or handsome? When I'm taking care of myself. It could be alone time. It could be a walk. It can be snuggling with my dog. It could be snuggling with my husband. That's when I feel at my best and when I feel the most handsome. Why in your body, in your skin, in your journey, why is it a good place to be? And for the first time in my entire life, I get to be present and I don't have to worry about the future and what's gonna happen and I don't have to worry about my past. I'm here now, I'm in my body now. I'm the most present that I've ever been. I'm enjoying all of the stages of building, of loving, of learning, and I don't have to run anymore. I'm just wholly here. And there's no other body that I would rather be in. So this thing's been through a lot. And then the last question is, what does it mean to you to be man enough? Oh, I thought man enough was like, taking a big hit and getting back up and brushing myself off and getting injured and playing through it. That's man enough. But now man enough to me is taking time to reflect, going to therapy, being able to hold hands with my husband out in public, to be able to kiss him when I want to. That's man enough. To be able to explore my creative side, to paint, to draw. There's this freeing experience now for me just to be man enough in my own skin, in my own ways, and leave and be like, I'm a man for going through that. Do you listen to NSYNC and Pink in the car? <laughs> I listen to all sorts of, of music now. Music is so healing to me. Music, music is a form of therapy for myself. I blast pop music, I sing pop music, yeah, all of it. That was beautiful and amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much. Yeah. How, how do you feel? I feel great. This is a visual representation of basically how I've felt these last two years. I pretty much had to strip all my layers out off and show anybody who's been along this journey with me who I am, and I'm proud of who I became. I think that's the answer, I'm proud of who I am now, and I'm excited about who I'm going to be. It's, I'm excited too. Me too. And that was What's Underneath with Colton Underwood. We're very grateful to him for sharing himself so authentically with us. And we hope you found healing on your own journey towards self-acceptance through his story. You can watch the video version of this interview and see our guests remove their layers in all their singular glory by heading to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash style like you. And that's with the letter U, not the Y-O-U. We're so grateful to our incredible sponsor, BetterHelp, for supporting us in bringing this series to life. If you're looking to take your mental health journey to the next level and are thinking of starting therapy, you can enjoy 10% off of your first month of therapy at betterhelp.com slash what's underneath. Before we go, remember to follow Man Enough on all social platforms at We Are Man Enough and visit manenough.com slash podcasts for more episodes of What's Underneath Masculinity and the Man Enough podcast. And don't forget to follow at Style Like You on social media as well.